Traveling the Vortex We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex, arrive at episode 580, and poor old Norm didn't know where to look. I'm Keith. <laughs> I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Pretty good. We are going to drum up some energy because we're all tired. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just got done doing a workout. I've a headache all day, so. I just got done doing a workout, and then, so I thought, okay, I'll have all this, you know. A lot of times when I'm done, I'm still, you know, up. No, not this time. I'm tired. What is this workout you speak of? We've been trying to do one every night. What Good kind of workout you. do you do? Trying. Uh, we're doing the Apple, Apple Fitness workouts, so right now we're kind of taking it slow but we're doing dance and mindful cooldowns so nice yeah what about you guys that's about all i did i i i didn't get any movies watched this week i've been watching uh hermitcraft season 10 came back so i've been watching a lot of that catching up on everybody's videos what's hermitcraft that's that uh minecraft server that i watch on youtube uh. all the different um youtubers that are on that one server and then they collab and build things together and gotcha. each have episodes it's a lot of fun to watch should have known from the title yeah <laughs> i've not done much either other than keep i'm still playing spider-man <laughs> i think i'm near the halfway mark and i'm at like 17 hours mm. i uh I, I i trouble myself because uh, i used to be able to multitask with book reading and I was such a vicarious reader that, like, you know, I'd have a book in the bathroom and a book in the car just in case we stopped somewhere and I could knock out a chapter or uh, a book over here. Instead of carrying the same book with me, I just I had books stashed everywhere so that I could pick them up and, and read. Uh, and then in high school, it got to the point where I think we were reading the, the, the Tale of Two Cities and um, I started dreaming that damn book at night and i started transposing plots from one book to another book so like i'm dreaming that there's this chase sequence and things are happening and then all of a sudden we're on the guillotine stand and it's like okay i'm done with this i can't keep this straight anymore and uh so i backed off to just one book at a time well i uh went to the friends of the library book sale accidentally true story <laughs> it can happen this way <laughs> And I went I've, to the I've, library. I've shown up and I've shown up and it's been going on. I, I know how there you works. go. Okay. So we showed up and I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> Why so, are they so busy today? What's going on? Walked in, kind of browsed around for a little bit and found on the audiobook table, Ernest Klein's Armada for a oh, buck. Okay. Nice. And I'm like, on CD? Yeah, boy. And I was between books. So I bought it and I put it in the car and I started listening to it and I got through the first CD and then, uh, my, uh, whatever, uh, online, blah, blah, blah notification chimed and said, Hey, the next Dresden book is available and you can uh, rent it for your, uh, and I'm like, ah, and of course they sent me the very nice, well, you don't have to do it now. If you don't want to, we'll hold it. You'll hold your place in line. You know, I'm like, no, I don't want to wait. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I own Ernest Klein. I put him on hold and jumped over to Dresden. And then I had to put Dresden on hold so I could listen to Thomas Brewster. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, 
And still sitting over on my nightstand is the hard copy of Stephen King's fairy tale, which I've been working on for about three years and just haven't got back to because I don't know, somewhere along the line, it became a vacation book and I can only read it on vacation. It's not that it's not good. It's very, very good. But for whatever reason, I can't physically sit down and read anymore. So all of a sudden I have all these different books going at the same time. And I'm like, no, (laughs) (laughs) at least you finished one of them. Yeah. Is it it seeping into your dreams now and cross plotting? Uh, Not yet. Fortunately. (laughs) No, right now my dreams have all been uh, uh, anxiety-fueled nightmares about you're not ready to role play. You're not ready to role play. <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna push through. I gotta get it done. You'll do fine. <laughs> you can do it. <sighs> what else is going on? Well, let's talk a little bit about some news because there was some sad news that came out this morning. Do we have yeah, to talk about it? It's sad. Well, we don't have really to talk don't. about it, but. <laughs> I'd rather just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, Michael Jason has passed away at the age of 88. My bathroom buddy. After a short illness. My bathroom buddy. Yeah. You know what's weird is I went through all of my galley photos. Because uh, I couldn't remember specifically what year he was there, and then I, of course narrowed it down because I was like, "Well, duh, <laughs> was, it was the year <laughs> when I was there." The one year. Wait, wait, wait! Look, can, before new listeners are wondering what the heck I'm talking about, bathroom buddy. <laughs> when I went to Gallery Gall, Gallifrey one, oh uh, god, what has it been like? Fifteen years ago now? Ten years ago? I, yeah, I think it was uh, twenty. 12 or 13, yeah. I think, was when I figured out you were there. It must be 2013, because I think we went to Disney in 2012, <laughs> and we went. I went to Gallifrey the following year. So, anyway, 2013. And um, Michael Jason was there that year. And at no more than, or no fewer than three times, I would be in the bathroom, and he would be in, he would be in the bathroom. Either I'd go in there, and he was already in there, or I'd be in there, and he'd come in, but it was like we had the same bathroom schedule. And so it was just this weird coincidence. So suddenly I just started calling my bathroom buddy. And it, you know, that last time we saw each other, we kind of acknowledged the fact that we kept meeting there. So, cause that's not weird or anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it would have been, it would have been like strange. That. It would have been strange if each time one or the other of us went in first and the other went in second. But luckily there was those off chances where, one of us was in there when the other came in and vice versa. So it didn't make it so weird. It made it not seem like you were a stalker. Right, right. <laughs> or he was stalking me. Mm-hmm. Could, yeah, see? Could go either way, maybe. I doubt it. So I'm anyway. sitting on my hands. I'm not going <laughs> to. So anyway. I'm not going to jump on that. You can finish your. Uh... You were looking through your Gallifrey picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, I realized I. I apparently didn't get a single photo of Michael Jason from that year hmm. in the bathroom or otherwise. So, uh, it was a little, uh, but isn't there a picture of you two interviewing him? Uh, no, that's, that's, uh, uh, Stephen Thorne. Was that Stephen Thorne? We yeah. had talked about, uh, interviewing Michael Jason, but we never could make it work. Oh. And I rode up and down in the elevator with him several times. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I was shocked that it was like, we have these, seemingly intimate moments with the man <laughs> and no, and no photographic evidence <laughs> no photographic evidence no proof 
just a little odd, but hmm. so yeah, very very bittersweet memories yeah. uh, this morning because uh, he he was truly a joy to talk to. Um, but uh, yeah. And a terrific I kinda, actor. I mean, oh, yeah. his performance is the Valleyard, and we got to hear him revisit the Valleyard again when we were listening to the Big Finish uh, War Doctor um, stories. Mm-hmm. And so, and I kind of still held out hope that he was going to reappear at some point in mm. the modern series. Yeah. I don't know why I held out hope for that, but I just, I just kind of thought, yeah, it'll it'll happen. Mm-hmm. So he will be missed. He will be missed. You will be. Well, that's all the news we've got. Um, we do have some upcoming conventions to remind you about. London Anime and Gaming Con uh, in Novotel, London West, in uh, London, uh, February 16th and 19th. Gareth Lloyd, I'm uh, sorry, Gareth David Lloyd will be on be there. Um, he played Yonto oh. in um, Torchwood. He's the only Doctor Who related guest there because he actually is a voice actor as well. I didn't realize this until I started looking into it. Uh, London Anime and Gaming Con, and he's done a lot of voice acting. So he's he's there in that capacity, but if you know him from Torchwood and you'll get something signed from Torchwood, there you go. Um, Capital Sci-Fi Con, also in uh, the UK. This is at the O2 Academy in Edinburgh. That's February 17th and 18th. Paul McGann will be on hand there. And then, of course, the big one, as we were just talking about, Gallifrey 1, 2024, Los Angeles, California, February 16th through the 18th. And among the many, many, many guests, and I won't list them off, but among them are Alex Kingston, Lala Ward, Matthew Waterhouse, Fraser Hines, Jacqueline King, Nabil Shaban, uh, Jonathan Carley, and many, many, many more. And that's your upcoming conventions. You are invited on an adventure across all of time and space, in a completely random order. It's the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Goldbranson, Asad Khashki, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. It's the entire Who-niverse. On Shuffle, the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to Traveling the Vortex. Hello fellow time travelers and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and every two weeks or so I'm joined by a two to three person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast. I believe the next thing to do then is uh, to review. And of course, we're going to do these in doctor order. So we recently, in the U.S. anyway, they've had this in the U.K. for a while, but we recently got the uh, DVD and Blu-ray issues of Doctor Who, The Underwater Menace. And this is the colorized version. Um, 
which is, oh, it has black and white too. It does have black and white. Uh, animated, I should say, is what I meant. And yes. uh, <laughs> and uh, so we're gonna we've we've obviously record we um, reviewed the story uh, back some time ago when they did the initial DVD release, I believe it was, with the um, reconstructions. And so we're just going to talk a little bit about the animation this time. Keith, I'll let you go first. I thought the animation was fantastic. I, I, there's, I don't think I, there's, there's only one complaint I have with the animation, and I'll get to that later. But I, th- I thought the, the faces of the characters were really well done and very expressive, but still within that style that they've kind of established for the Second Doctor. Uh, I think the color choices they chose for the colorized version were really good, and I think would fits really well with the story that they told that is being told. Um, I thought the movements were a lot smoother than they've kind of been in the past. Uh, some of them almost the way it wasn't quite as jerky and as you know figures on popsicle sticks as it has been. It's been a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot smoother and a lot more almost three-dimensional turning and things like that where we haven't got quite as much uh, in the past. I think my only complaint with it was the way they redesigned the fish people. I kind of miss the the kitschy 60s version of the fish people with the sequins. They made them look a lot more like... um, A lot more fish-like. A lot more... Well, more fish-like and more like a shape of water. Or mm. Abe Sapien. Yeah. More, I, more, almost more amphibian fish person. Yeah. Than yeah. Fish, fish person, less scaly. Um, and maybe had they, because I think that really that's what the sequins were trying to emulate on the costumes were the scales. So I wish if they could have included some hints or details of scales on the, on the animation, I think it would have worked a little better for me. I just, I enjoyed I'm, the fish people have never been a problem for me. I think they were very ambitious for the '60s when they did it, and I thought they they did a fairly decent job. Um, so I, I, that's the only thing I kind of missed the old costumes. You know what they reminded me of was um, uh, uh, Wakanda Forever. The uh, mm-hmm. oh, the Atlanteans in that, or not? Atlanteans, they, they were Atlanteans. Yeah, well, they weren't Atlanteans <laughs> in that. They were. Um, oh no. They chose I've not only to seen it once, so I can't remember. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, Mesoamerican something. I don't remember what they're what they called them, but Mariners people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, yeah. I I personally preferred the change. Um, I'm one of the ones that one of the people that has always been bothered by the and, and it's Doctor Who, so you give it a pass or you accept that that's what they had at best at the time. But I've never liked the look of the the fish people in the in the series. So this one I thought was a, a more of a, a subtler design. And I think it, it, it helped not make me giggle every time they were on scene on screen. Um, but I think what I liked also about it is the fact that the, the Atlanteans are all sort of, they have a kind of a, a greenish hue and they have the, the striking fig, mm-hmm. uh, features that they didn't necessarily have in the, um, actual episode itself. So I think it, it, it melds the two, uh, sort of bridges that, you know, difference between the fish people, the ones that have become the fish people and the ones that are still the Atlanteans. So, um, one, I... of, one of the great things of what they did do also was they made it clearer <laughs> what they were doing when they were doing the swimming around bit, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the TV show, it's almost like they 
were just trying to show off, trying to do the swimming effects, mm -hmm. and it wasn't as clear that the one is trying to communicate with the other well, one. Let's just say it looked like acrobats on. in a circus. <laughs> right. And in the animation, even though there wasn't as much variance in what they did, it looked more like he was trying to communicate mm -hmm. with the other fish people. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I thought that was a good change as well. I, I concur with um, really everything. I was, I was kind of surprised, honestly. Um, just from the standpoint that the internet scuttlebutt has been, oh, this is terrible. The animation is horrible. Why are we continuing to, you know, get these? If they're not going to do it, don't bother doing it. You know, if, if you can't do it right. Uh, it seemed to seem like I read a lot of down kind of reviews on it. And the cover admittedly does not inspire a lot of confidence when you look oh, at the shot that's it, it's kind of a plain Jane blah. That's just uh, been the covers for all the animated ones. Though. Well, that's true I've been too. So disappointed yeah. with that. I wonder why these aren't selling. Well, they're not selling because you're not attracting anybody to them. Yeah, the marketing is definitely subpar. But the uh, the animation itself, I agree. I thought it was fluid. Um, I, I kind of kept looking at it, going, "Well, this doesn't look like what everybody was complaining about." I mean, it's 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 Still not my favorite, but it's much closer in line with that, and it's a little more uh, a smooth on on the, the, the you know movements and 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 such. Uh, as Keith said, the the facial uh, you know I recognized everybody. I didn't have any questions about who somebody was. Uh, the color palette was really kind of astonishing. It it had a, a great sense of color to it, um, and I was only going to pop it in just long enough to kind of get a feel for it and wound up watching two full episodes and partway through the third one because <laughs> I got sucked back in, even though, and I'm pretty sure we, we commented at the time that we reviewed this, this is not exactly the strongest story, but it's goofy enough because of the insane scientist <laughs> elements that being animated, it really kind of lends, I mean, this story lends itself to this particular type of storytelling. And uh, I was quite pleased with it. I, I sort of agree with you there. Um, I, when I first started watching it, I felt like the colors were a little too much. I thought they were a little oversaturated, um, especially for being a story that's supposedly set underwater or under, under underwater. Um, but, the more I watched it, the more I realized it's such a fantastical story that mm -hmm. the the bright colors almost lend to the to the the story better because of that. And so once I got past that, and got into it, then it it wasn't so much bothering me. I think the one thing that I did bother me, and now I for the life of me cannot remember which one. Now this was BBC <coughs> Studios that did this one. And I still think one of the best ones they've done is Evil of the Daleks. I think it's Evil of the Daleks was done was so good. well. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is in line with, as you talked about, Kate, the facial expression was really good. The movements were really clean. Um, I think the one thing that bothered me about this, and I don't think it was another BBC Studios one, but I could be wrong. But And this is going to be funny coming off of Wild Beat Yonder, but their arms are too long. <laughs> and that kept bugging me because and i don't know if it has to do with because they do do still do some of that limited movement because they're 
uh, it, you can animate it faster if you don't have the complete articulation of, of joint and things like that. Or you have kind of that, you know, able to move it in certain ways. And so it must have something to do with that. But there was another story that I, I complained the same thing. I believe that I just felt like the arms were out of proportion. And, and that bugged me on this one, too. But I don't remember that being any of the other BBC Studios one. The, the Power of the Daleks one, maybe it was that one. Maybe I'm just misremembering. Um, it definitely wasn't Evil of the Daleks because that did not stand out. And I don't think the Faceless Ones was that way, but maybe. Hmm. Was it any one character in particular? It's most it it's most noticeable. People? It's most noticeable on Jamie and the Doctor. Oh, okay. Oh, and here's another thing. <laughs> when you watch these animations and you see the Doctor, it looks like the Doctor. And when you see mm-hmm. these animations and you look at Jamie, it looks like Jamie. And when you watch these animations and you see Polly, it looks like Polly. But every dang one of these, Ben looks like some generic Ken doll. And, <laughs> and he doesn't look the same in any of them. And so nobody, for some reason, can get Ben right. I don't know what, what that is, but... Nobody remembers what Ben looks like. <laughs> so many of his episodes were white. Get it's a just picture. Like, there was a guy named Ben. Just I remember take, that. Take a picture. <laughs> just that bothers me because none of the Bens have looked like Ben. Well, you say that, but you know, I watched the black and white first, and just so I could have a comparison, jump back to the live action for mm-hmm. episode three. At the start of episode four, I didn't recognize Polly at all oh. in the animation in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> Had it been in color where it was her normal flesh color and her hair color, I would have been like, oh, okay, that's who it is. But I was like, wait, is that well, the one chick know. that was helping them? Or how was do you it? know what her hair color is? <laughs> I, I color. met her. I know. Oh, well, but she, didn't, she doesn't have blonde hair anymore. <laughs> but the fringe was blonde. In yeah, the, I suppose you know, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I should have realized that the fringe was visible, whereas mm-hmm. the other ch- girl, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. Yeah. And you know what? The animation or the, the colorization, the colored part, it gave such a C-Lab 2020 vibe. Oh, didn't it, though? <laughs> <laughs> that it, 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 that's part of why it works mm-hmm. as well. It gives it that Hanna-Barbera almost over the, not necessarily over the top, but almost there, you know, vibe to it that totally fits in with the 60s stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially the guys in the uh Zaroff's guys in their suit and they're like I don't know if they were supposed to be wetsuits or what, but they've those guys specifically, I was like, oh that's C Lab twenty twenty right there. <laughs> I really enjoyed that element of it. It was kind of harkening back to like, oh yeah. Yep. And I, I watched through the whole thing twice and I think I enjoy the story even more now than our initial watch through the first time. Well, what helps tremendously is this whole story's moving this time. <laughs> We're not having, yeah. I, the, you know, they, they animated, I think what the first episode and, or no, not animated. They uh, reconstructed the first episode. And I think the fourth episode with the telesnaps mm-hmm. and they, for some reason, you know, they tried to be strict with yeah. the, and yeah. it was just so stoic and it was hard to watch. And then by the time you get to the live action stuff, the stuff that's actually moving, I think you're so exhausted from watching that first story that, you know, you just as you finally get back into it because you've got two 
surviving stories, then suddenly you're thrown back in that fourth episode into those uh, stills again. And I just, that, yeah, I think that, that and, tanks and it a little bit. There's so much action and not mm. a lot of exposition in yeah. the fourth story episode. Then that's <laughs> you lose true. a lot. Yeah. And I think that's, that's why I enjoyed this so much more also is because it was clear what was going on. Even though we read the novelization when we watched mm-hmm. the reconstruction, I, I understood a lot more of the story and what was happening this time than yeah. I have in the past. Yeah. I got it's that not, impression as well. It's not the the highest end of Troughton's stories, but it's definitely not the worst, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I think it's funny that we've come so far along now, though, that I think maybe Evil was the in the latest stretch, I guess Macro Terror as well, in the latest stretch of ones of ones that we had already done, you know, the reconstruction of before we got to oh, the animation yeah. and this is another one of the, in that line of we're, we're having to revisit it now that the animation's out, but that's quite all right. Because I think, like you said, there's, there's a lot of improvement to the story just because of uh, the uh, visualizations. And Here as much BBC. as I enjoy doing Sorry. the reconstructions and the novels together, I'd much rather have the animations. <laughs> yeah. The same dear BBC. I'm going to need you guys to uh, call up an animation house and do a full animation reconstruction of the talons of Wen Chiang because <laughs> I feel like Maybe that story would, uh, would, would get a lot better in animation. Let's, so let's not bother them with things that exist <laughs> and let's, let's let them stay focused on the things that don't, because we're not going to get <laughs> the crusade because they've already given in and put that on the DVD as a recon. And I bet they'll do the same thing with the Highlanders. So let's, let's at least get another one or two of them out of there. <laughs> that they'll do so. And I'd much rather them be in this style than the style that they did for the web of fear. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what, uh, we think of the celestial toy maker. I think that is going to lend better to that type of story, but it mm-hmm. is the same animation company. So we'll have to see well, if we can put up with the, they've come leaps and bounds just from the trailer for from Anna from Mobile Fear to Celestial Toymaker. How many times have you watched the trailer? Several. Okay. <laughs> because every, every time I watch it, I think, I'm not sure. I think I was kind of excited that this was coming out over the fact that the animation looks good. <laughs> so, but we'll, well see. See, we'll and see. I was the reverse. I was very disappointed by the animation. And the more I li- watched it, the more I, th- I thought it was better and looks good. Mm. It's been a while since I've watched it, but that's yeah. what I remember. I, I also I was. I was initially disappointed with the animation style for Toymaker, but knowing that it's the same animation house that did this one. No, no, it's, no, no it's not this one. It's uh, oh, which one is it? The, the, I thought that's what you'd said. No, no, Web of Fear, the one that. It's the one that Web uh, of Fear, the one that the one that we didn't care that much for because yeah, okay. they animated that one that. episode. Yeah, no, it's this is shape. That'll be Shapeshifter Studios. So. <laughs> Well, which is funny because I'll just go back to reserving my judgment until it comes out because that, <laughs> right. as you said, that story does lend itself to this particular format. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we'll find out. This is Tim Trelaw. This is David J. Howe. I'm Peter Purvis. I am Sadie Miller. This is Lauren Cornelius. Larry, it's Fraser. For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world and beyond, 
the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. I'm Larry Van Mersberg and your host, and I've been collecting for 42 years. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex on the Direction Point Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 30, and that's our doctor. Then 1 to 300 for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time round. Putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories, so you don't have to. You're listening to Travelling the Vortex. We are going on a journey, a very long journey, through the world of the Target novelizations in publication order. Every week, we are looking at a new book, talking about Terrence Dix, Malcolm Hulk, and all our Doctor Who novelization friends. Whatever you do, keep turning the pages. This is Jason Miller of the Doctor Who Literature Podcast, a member of the Direction Point Podcast Network, and you are listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point Podcast. Well, let's move on to our review of The Crimes of Thomas Brewster, which is an eighth doctor. No, it's not. It's a sixth doctor story, <laughs> and it uh, features, once again, one of our favorite companions, Evelyn Smythe. Hey! Sent down south to assist the Metropolitan Police in their efforts to investigate the gangland kingpin known only as the Doctor, Detective Inspector Patricia Menzies finds herself up to her neck in laser-armed robot mosquitoes, gun-running criminal overlords, vanishing tube trains, and not one, but two Doctors. Meanwhile, the real Doctor and his academic assistant, Professor Evelyn Smythe, have become ensnared in the machinations of an old acquaintance time-traveling Victorian gutter snipe Thomas Brewster. But what is Brewster's connection to these rapacious robot terrivores? And can anyone contain the gathering swarm? Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. I think this would um, have a bigger dump bump bun if we had known who Thomas Brewster was. Well, and, it, and I thought of that when we went in, when I, when I started listening to it, I thought, oh, no, I believe <laughs> we have not listened to The Haunting of Thomas Brewster for sure, which is Fifth Doctor's story. And I don't think we've done the boy that time forgot, which I think is the first story that comes back that has Adric come back. And then we have not done time reef and we have not done a perfect world. (laughs) And so those are actually four stories ahead of this. But as we are hopping in through the vortex and we have done Mm. with all of the uh, television stories, I think I thought this story did a really good job of, catching me up on what sort of character Thomas Brewster was. And so well, and, I didn't feel like I was missing a lot of his backstory. And so the character is, I think dynamic enough and is, I mean, he doesn't have grand motives in this one. I mean, he does, but it's not something that's like intricate or detailed. It's very much a, fly by the seat mm-hmm. of your pants, have some idea of what you're doing, but then not enough foresight to see 
you know, what could end up happening. And so I think there was just enough of that, that, that the Thomas Brewster character didn't get lost in the, well, I don't even know who this guy is kind of sense for me anyway. And and to some extent it actually benefited the story because the mystery of who is this guy posing as the doctor was there until they reveal that it's this guy named Thomas Brewster, mm-hmm. which at that point it's like, okay, well, who is he? But I think had we known who Thomas Brewster was all the way leading up to it, it would have been like, obviously it's him. Obviously it's him. Come on. <laughs> because we would have recognized him and his name's in the title. Right. It's <laughs> I think what it benefits though, is that from, from a story standpoint, not necessarily from us, what I think what it does benefit is even if you know, as a, as a listener who this is, Evelyn's the first one that goes in there um, and yeah. has contact with him. And so I think they, they did the story right so that they kept the doctor distanced enough that he didn't figure it out until he got close enough to, to, to Thomas that he realized what was going on. And so I think that, that serving it from that perspective with a new doctor, with a different doctor and a new companion, I think it worked out really well. I thought it was the, the, the plotting of that was really well done. I felt yeah, I, w- I would agree. There is um, a little bit of rhyme and reason, not just that, well, we've skipped around with every other companion. Oh, so yeah. We'll around <laughs> with this one, too. I mean, we're doing Evelyn in order. I, yeah, right. We're, we are attempting right. to do Evelyn in order, and um, I, I, I will throw out a, not even a spoiler, just a mild warning that... Uh, Evelyn can get a little convoluted just based on the when, where, and who Evelyn interacts with mm-hmm. as we get close to the end of her run. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of timey-wimey that's kind of happening. And well, so and- you just have to buckle down and pick one and go, this is the through line. <laughs> right. Well, and... Obviously, Patricia Menzies is a prime example of that, whereas mm-hmm. the stuff with Charlie is clearly in the Doctor's future, Where, but for her, it's her, a second encar- in, in her encounter with him. Yeah. So it's, they, there's a lot of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff just within this specific story, which makes it interesting, especially in the beginning, um, as they're establishing the mystery of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. You got it. Um, I was... Um pleasantly i don't want to say surprised but i, I uh, it was it was a pleasant listen that uh most of the story was 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 pretty good and engaging uh with uh, uh interesting characters and things that kind of keep you along for the ride uh if anything i do feel like thomas is kind of the weak link of this story um for a, a episode called the crimes of thomas brewster uh, we really only dealt with one crime, and it was kind of sort of inadvertent, <laughs> and he, he did not come you. across as necessarily a villain, um, which, you know, it was was interesting and like, oh, okay, you know, subverting my expectations. But consequently, I just, I, while I did find myself, even though it was, even though it was kind of a standard alien invasion tale... Uh, I found myself gravitating more toward those elements of the story and way less on, on the, the gangsters and Thomas interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the inept, I was a Gallagher. 
Mm-hmm. By the time he showed back up in part four, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, his, his inept troop of uh, <laughs> henchmen. Do, do you not pay your henchmen? Do you not offer a dental plan or anything? Because nobody had any real loyalty or, <laughs> or well, ability. We'll say that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, just, uh, I think had they not, I think it was, I think the, story is mistitled i think is the problem it it really feels like they came up with the title before they came up with the story or they came up with the title because they wanted something um that sort of tied to the haunting of 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 uh, thomas brewster and so i think that i blame the mistitling for the disappointment that i kind of had in in brewster's character as well but mostly because i found myself going well Crimes plural, no. And this guy actually sort of seems like he thinks he's helping somebody, and so he's trying. He's not. He may be a protagonist, but he's or an antagonist, but he's not necessarily the villain. And of course, the villains are all revealed later. But um, yeah, so I I think it was more of this. The the misstep was titling it what they did, not necessarily his use in the story. I'm glad I wasn't the only one. The, the other issue I had with the story, and I don't know if it's because it's been so long since we've had a, a main range story that's four parts that they're trying to stretch out, you know, for so long, because we've been doing so much hour chunk story uh, formats, but it felt a little overly convoluted and a little too trying to be clever in misdirection multiple times where it probably didn't need to be. I would but agree with those. At the same time, it also felt like those sort of things were something that the Six Doctors era did as well. Like, it's got an overall plot, and I understood the plot, but some of the minutiae is kind of, uh, this happens and it goes over there and, and kind of happens. Kind of like Attack of the Cyberman. <laughs> that story is kind of so gray in my mind that as it, it just progresses and things happen for reasons that I don't fully wrap my brain around and this is kind of a similar thing it is oh now we're doing that now we're over here and we went through this whole circumstantial route to get to this point where we could have just cut a straight line and got there but we needed to fill the time yeah uh, about the time that we got to the no i'm the doctor no i'm the doctor with no real how many people are going to claim to be the doctor in this story <laughs> well and, and all of it wound up essentially for not because none of the reveals really mattered. It was just to try and throw some confusion into things. And then when it didn't really work, the doctor goes, Oh, okay. I'm the doctor. And Thomas was like, well, yeah, I knew it. And then, um, even the same thing with the, the planet people. Yeah. With, with the, uh, whatever they were. Um, well, I would have to argue that he had to keep the, he had to keep that facade up because that was what tricked them when he was saying, well, I'm out. I, I'm, I don't need to be here. I'm, I'm gone. When he bails, that wouldn't have been something that the doctor would do, but he had to get away in order to draw the queen away from uh, the rest of the, whatever this animal or the, the half droid, half symbiotic. symbiotic yeah. Um, he had to draw him away. So, that one seemed to to that one seemed to work because it was initially done so that Thomas wouldn't figure out who the doctor was, 
but it had to be carried on so that they could have that plot element happen as well. And so I thought that worked all right. See, I guess for me, because these people were seeking out the doctor in a way and they out Thomas eventually as not being the doctor, had the true doctor stood up and said, it's me. He could have then just say, pretty much convinced them to trust him instead of doing this whole misdirect of I'm going to betray earth so that they can take it over and no. say, just trust me. I have this plan that can work. No, it will stop because, the, the- because even when they wholeheartedly believed that Thomas was the doctor, they were already ready to double cross him. So there's no way that the doctor could have said, no, I really am the doctor. And then you go, okay, well, we're not going to double cross you because they wholeheartedly believed that Thomas was the doctor and they already had been prepared to double cross him to get rid of the symbiotic swarm, whatever they were. So I don't think that would have worked. And I think that's why he had to keep up the facade. Mm. I'll allow it, but I don't know that I buy it. <laughs> it just seemed like, uh, <clears throat> as, as Keith said, padding. Oh, I'm I'm not denying that. I'm just saying I don't I don't think it was. I think it was. I still think that it was necessary. I don't think it needed to be as drawn out as it was. Don't get me wrong, but I think that I think that there was still some necessity for. It. I don't think they could have cut the corner on that element of it. Um, I don't know if it's just me, but I haven't noticed since that we've. Of course, we've been, a lot of the stuff we've been listening to recently has been done during was done during COVID, and a lot of people are. Mm-hmm working off site with some really good audio and some really good audio mixing that convinces me that everybody's in the same room. Right. Until Uh I listen to this one and the, there's something about the, and maybe it's because there's more of an energy because they're all there together perhaps, but it really feels a little different and it almost feels like, going back to something a little more familiar that I didn't realize I was missing from the new audios. And I'm not saying that the new audios are bad in any way. And I'm not saying that I'm not enjoying them and that they're not doing a phenomenal job, but there is something a little more crisp and clear about this one that I didn't realize until going back and listening to a pre COVID story. Was it just me or did anybody else notice that? It's a completely different animal. Um, the, the energy is different. Just like when we record together, I find I'm on a different wavelength than when I'm sitting in my basement in the dark recording solo. Well, quit sitting in the dark. I'm on a light. <laughs> we fear light. <laughs> Are you a mogwai? <laughs> it's not after midnight. I guess I could eat a little something. <laughs> It'll make you No, I I just, you, you feed off the people around you. And so, you know, when you're solo and alone, even though you've got the material in front of you and you're delivering your performance, you are performing to the mic, uh, which has got to be a different feel as an actor than performing to the mic, knowing that you can see so-and-so across the room, you know, in their little booth laughing at your performance because you're so into it. That, 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 that's got to have a whole different vibe to it, I would think. I would think so, too. I didn't notice it, though. Not at all, huh? No, not really. I will also freely admit that I was just so ecstatic to have Evelyn back in my life. <laughs> that uh, there, there may yeah. have been, This could have committed any number of sins, and yeah. I've been like, don't care. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Even though they 
hypnotizer and or not hypnotizer, but possessor body and <laughs> possessor, and mm-hmm. we don't act, truly get her for half the story. She is fantastic, though. I love the open of this when they're being chased, and I just that the the excitement and the action that you can just imagine in your head as it's happening i thought that was so much fun yeah the absolute best bit was oh your poor coat oh it's all right i've got more at home you do (laughs) i didn't think i wore the same one did you i've got a half a dozen or you know i've got a dozen more one down 12 to go (laughs) (laughs) All right. And apparently this is the introduction of another character that will stick around or come back. Yeah. From what it looks like. Who's that? Flip. Oh, right, right, right. Philippa. I forgot about that. To the point where I kept waiting for the, how do they get back onto the TARDIS? (laughs) What happens to the boyfriend? The boyfriend's dead meat. They're going to kill him off. Uh, Yeah, I went through all of the... (laughs) And it was like, no, we just did a did, did a a soft launch, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I look forward to hearing the stories where we meet Patricia Menzies the first time. I thought she was a great character. Really enjoyed her interactions with Evelyn, and then her interactions with the Doctor. I thought they had a great chemistry all mm-hmm. all of them together. Mm-hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, which is entirely possible. Have we not encountered Patricia at all yet? Or not that I remembered. Yeah. Well, she was the one that, so when Charlie Did we? and the doctor nope. are, um, let's see. So when Charlie and the doctor, they're, they, I don't remember the particulars of the story, but there was a guy that was dead in a room and the door was locked from the inside and they came across it for some reason and they were trying to figure out what was happening and her and and her constable show up and that's the first time that the sixth doctor meets her yeah i'm trying to remember i think it's even the first story with it is it's it's charlie's first story when she joins the doctor yes okay how many of the ones with this Charlie and the Sixth Doctor have we done? That's it. And maybe any. maybe two. I'm the only one. But that's the only one I can okay. remember. Yeah. That was so long ago that it was. <laughs> I, I I truly don't remember that story at all. <laughs> <laughs> I remember her. Last thing I remember from Charlie was her the condemned encountering the, condemned. the Sixth Doctor, or and then you know joining him in the TARDIS, but not an actual full story. Yeah. That's the last thing I remember. So obviously we must have done more since then. Uh, Main Range 105, The Condemned. That's what it was. And it is right after. In fact, we listened to the story where the Eighth Doctor drops her off, or or inadvertently, I guess. And then. I remember that one. And then we listened to the one where the Eighth Doctor. Well, at the end of that one, I think the Eighth Doctor. Or uh, that's why I keep getting confused. The Sixth Doctor shows up at the end of that story yes. where he leaves her and so it never was and it is yeah and it is the new uh set of her taking off with the sixth doctor so yeah yeah the condemned was the one i was thinking of and it was a, some guy guy died in a building high-rise building be, in behind a locked door and they had to figure out why 
or how it had happened. So that's where she met the doctor. Because she was, yeah, she was, I I remember this. She was running around different apartments and she talked to different people. It turned out the entire building had something going on with it. 105th story is the name of the, or not, is the number of the uh, thing. I thought it was the uh, 105th story of the building. I was like, that building wasn't that big. (laughs) No, it wasn't that tall. (laughs) But, uh, But Charlie was running around trying to, uh, tackle the mystery from one side uh, by talking to people and thing. And the doctor was mm-hmm. outside the building, yes, but couldn't get in and she couldn't get out. And they were both trying to solve the mystery of what was going on before she got off. Right. Okay. <laughs> I just did a search on, I don't remember that at all. I just did uh, a search on, on the, do, on the scheduler and that was back at 430. Yeah. So that wasn't that long ago. So it's um, been a bit. <laughs> and D.I. Minzy was in um, the 50th, an- not 50th anniversary, the um, 10th anniversary special that Big Finish did um, where they had the several stories. She was a character in that as well. I can't for the yeah, life of me remember what that one was about. According to this TARDIS wiki, she's only been four of them, two which with Charlie. Oh, and then the one Legacy of Time. Yeah, Legacy of Time. That's what it was called. That one kind of seems familiar. Yeah, she was in that. Not not very much. Of course, none of the <laughs> cameos of those were in that very much either. But That's true. Well, I'm sure you can go back and... Uh, I'll have to just go back and listen to it. <laughs> just... just... Look up the episodes that we talked about it and then re-listen to it and go, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Right. But we have not done the Doomward Curse, right? No, we have not. We have not done, done Doomward okay, Curse. So that is the second Charlie story. Yeah, I wasn't sure if we had. I, know, I knew we had done the first one, but I wasn't sure about the second one. I remembered the, um, when you just now said it, I re- the title popped back in my head. And part of that's because I've been looking at the scheduler. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what else on this one stood out? I like D.I. Mimsy's. I I have for all the stories she's been in, so. Strong character. Sam. She's a lot of fun. All right, Sean. I think that was probably another, uh, in line with the mistaken identity, the fact that she is aware that she's met the Doctor out of order and trying to keep it a secret. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we get to the end and the doctor is like, yeah, well, I kind of knew that that was a thing and I'll return the favor for you. It was a cool little joke, but at the same time, it just made it, uh, there was so much running around with that bit that didn't go anywhere. Well, that's true. But I think it, I thought it was kind of nice that the way he presented it to where he kind of thanked her for doing that because he he showed his appreciation for that because not a lot of people would understand the importance of that having to be done sometimes. And she does, and I think he respects her more because of it. Agreed. It also makes me kind of uh, wish that, uh, you know, she was a full-blown companion at some point in time. Mm -hmm. Because I think she could handle it. Well, from her her dossier on here, we we aren't going to get much more of her, so... Nope. Hopefully, maybe nope. maybe later. Maybe more will come back. She'll come back later. All right, Sean, are you ready to do the uh, schedule? 
Well, there's some stuff coming up. <laughs> what do we got coming up on that up. schedule? Uh, well, next is a uh, look at uh, the big finish, uh, Santarans versus Rutans. We will be doing story 1.1, the Battle for Giants Causeway. And a couple of short trips uh, from a day in the life, after midnight and before midnight, uh, all as part of our companion archive, taking a little more of an in-depth look at Kariz. It's old home week here with the big Finnish companions. <laughs> uh, we have uh, some dream casting for Doctor and Companions in our next discussion panel. We will do some more Santarns and Rutans and some Lethbridge Stewart fiction going back into the world of the Laughing Gnome with Lucy Wilson and the Bleedo Cadets. And, uh, Oh, how about an adversary archive while we're at it? <laughs> we will take a look at the Axos with the Feast of Axos and the Golden Ones. Mm. Uh, big finish and a Doctor Who magazine comic series and, uh, by Jonathan Morris. And now I'm excited. Yeah, well, the, oh, this one was this story Jonathan was Jonathan Morris, Morris too. Yeah. yeah. The one we just listened to. Um, always good. And then so the, we've got to wait more than a month and a half to find out what happens next after the cliffhanger. Yeah, as I say, the, the Feast of Axos will be the next Evelyn story, um, continuing on the, the Thomas Brewster story. So, All right, well, you can find all of this at TravelingTheVortex.com. And, of course, if you get any, um, get any value out of this podcast, uh, why not consider putting some value back into it? You can do that by becoming a patron of the podcast. Click on that Patreon link, and you can... Get information on supporting us there. You can also consider giving us a five-star review wherever you subscribe to the podcast. It helps us bump up in the ratings and the recommendations. And, of course, make sure you join in the conversations on our listeners' forum on Facebook. Follow us on our Facebook page. We're on TikTok. We're on X, formerly known as Twitter. And we're also on Instagram. Anything else we need to discuss before we close this one? If not, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. No, I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.